1: Now here are your hosts: Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, Pure Athlete Yet, yeah. a transcend race hombre. Matt Butler, I don't talk, man. I back it up, and we are song full of that. I'm right. And Jeff Howe, it's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. because stone, cold sets so. up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 247com I am Jeff Howe. Coming as strong as we can. It's been one of those weeks, man. The weather's not cooperating, and on top of allergies, <laughs> uh, as Rod would say, I got the bee Oh first. man, yeah. You guys know I've been there. Uh, it's no secret. You still got to play. I, I don't like. Yeah, I don't like to start the show on stuff you like this. Still got to play, man. But you guys know, uh, for the last few years, I've I've battled my uh, you know intestinal issues, digestive issues. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. if it's the stress of wife being pregnant and baby being about six oh, weeks no doubt. out, but... It uh or something I ate, but it, it came back with a vengeance, something fierce. I think it they
2: call know. it sim and don't you supposed to have sympathy pains? There's easily Like with your wife, like you're supposed to like there's sympathy weight like gain mm-hmm. with your wife when she's pregnant. Stay oh, pregnancy, whatever your like you significant other is, whatever. Well, wife's pregnancy. Yeah, exactly. Sympathy. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, to be yeah, gender hey, neutral. Hey, hey. These days a lot of crazy stuff going on. Just saying, who Junior. You? <laughs> Whoever it is. Because it might have been your wife, baby mama. You know what I mean? Like, you mean right. So whoever it is that you are in this relationship with, that you are creating a human being with, you have sympathy uh, things. So, like, sympathy weight. And you may have sympathy, like, pain with your woman. Like, she's doing, like, February, right?
1: February 19th.
2: Yeah, dude. This. Are, are, any when, time now. How, when, when, did, when do you start having contractions? How early is that?
1: Well, pretty much once you get to week thirty six, which I think we're less than two weeks from that point. Okay,
2: so now. she's already starting to have like serious dis- discomfort because it's not really, is not a really little up? bit. Yeah, she, but she not looks fantastic. Much. So I don't honestly, Thank you, yeah, God, I she she that. wasn't, yeah, she just she was just doing her thing. She was like carrying stuff, and I was like, oh, don't be caring. She's like, no, I'm fine. I was, My like, wife
1: oh. is uh, stubborn. We'll right, put it point blank, that's yeah. true. It. Well, it's all She knows that, and I've told her. Like we were putting Christmas decorations up. She's like oh, I can lift that. I'm like, no, stop. You can't be stop lifting, lifting stuff. Lifting like, yeah. You can, but you don't need to. <laughs> exactly.
2: You don't need to. That's what I'm here you for. You know what but, I mean? Uh, just just be, yeah, just just be lazy. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, no, so I've been I've been fighting it this week. We actually did have a couple's baby shower over the weekend. Yeah. Rod B showed up. Rod B came through with the best gift, I think. Uh, that
2: it wasn't really the best gift. It was probably just like the most creative, but it wasn't the best. Like you had real baby stuff. Yeah, like, it wasn't true. a real baby thing. Like your y- your baby actually is going to benefit more from other. gifts. There's stuff when there. you like the like party. I bet I bet it was stuff. But for the party, it was. It was like a good. Yeah, it was. Kind it was called
1: uh, AB to Jay-Z, A B to Jay Z, a hip hop inspired ABC children's book. So basically. Basically, it's like all the letters the alphabet core, like a true. rapper. Yeah, so it's got Tupac
2: yeah. in there, it's got Biggie in there, Jay Z, Kanye. there yeah, Kanye West? Yes, Kanye West is in there too. There you go. That everybody you pretty much need So teach your kid to also be a hip hop fan as they learn the alphabets.
1: Yeah, I don't think she'll have a choice from, uh, from that standpoint. <laughs> but uh, No thank you, Rod, for for going. No man, it was fun. Out. that was, uh, good. It was know, good. It was good. It was a good. Crowd. It was a good crowd. I know uh, your lady friend was sick over the weekend. Yeah, man, I've
2: that. been. She's been dealing with. She had a little. I don't know if it was the flu.
1: But it was, she was bad for like a week. Mine is all allergy related, man. I can feel it.
2: I think mm-hmm. the allergies like brings on some of the, it makes you more susceptible. It's, like yeah. the cold. Your
0: antibodies aren't fighting Yeah, you, you know they're what, they're what I mean?
2: I think that, and that's, uh, she's got allergies bad too. So because your boy had the same thing, but mm-hmm. do I drown my stuff in NyQuil, <laughs> vitamin C, and sleep for like 48 hours? Killed it. Matt. I'm like rain
1: dude. Matt's I can kill you. Uh, Matt's the weather syntax expert around here. Knows uh, all the, you know, from pollen counts to <laughs> fish fish population in <laughs> rivers. Not necessarily no, as much. Um, of just stats every day the stats. the cedar sucks because <laughs> well, it, yeah, my face like, blows up. after that cold spell left and it warmed up, I think it was mm. maybe Friday or Saturday. Like cedar was up like a hundred and sixteen thousand percent or yep. something. Like no, Highest like Highest count of the season yeah. two days ago. So yes. oh, I, and I felt it. But anyway, we're uh, we're not here to talk about pollen counts or cedar counts <laughs> or allergies. Uh, we're going to talk football. We do have a little bit of Longhorn football news to talk about. Some good news, actually, uh, going down on the 40 acres. Uh, also want to talk about some stuff from the championship game that relates to Texas. Yeah. Uh, and we'll start piecing together some stuff. As we look, continue to look back at 2017, look ahead to 2018.
2: Did we pick our? Did we pick the national championship game? Yeah,
1: yeah. I'll let you guys take Bama. You picked Bama. Georgia, right? I had to pick Georgia because yeah. you guys picked we Bama picked, and I needed yeah, to make balance.
2: up a game. But, hey, it, it was almost Georgia, man. Yeah. They had
1: it. And I want to get into something. Yeah, yeah. The, that's something it. else we want to talk about, too. Mm. But let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire. No longer the man behind the glass, the man who sits across from me, uh, the one and only Matt Butler. Matt uh, – How's everything going, man? Ah, uh, going real well. We don't ever get to see we don't ever see each other. We don't really talk outside yes. of Few hours, <laughs> well, we always
0: air, catch so. up on air. It's sort of funny, like if you think about that, the listeners know as much of our conversations normally as we do. Right. <laughs> God. Thank God for the, <laughs>
2: thank God for Longhorn Bliss podcast. Honestly, none of us will never a catch portal up. Portal to our minds. You know what I mean? This is how guys, that's how guys are. Though, no, that's it is. Men are. It's not like We're texting to, like, about like, your feelings it's got to be a poker game. Mm. It's got to be an event that guys Sporting get together. Uh, like ladies get together all the damn time and they talk all the time. Guys mm. don't do that, man. Not as that. much gossip. Like my woman was asking me, she was like. Um Okay, this is great. First question my woman asked when I come back from your shower hanging out. She's like, so what's her name? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) She was like, you didn't ask what her name was going to be? And I was like, No. I was like, me and Jeff was just, she's like, you we're talking to sports. I was like, <laughs> well, yeah. I was like, actually, the major white thing had just happened and this some other stuff. So, yeah, I was like, we were there for like, I was there for like two and a half hours. I think <laughs> we talked sports. We talked a little bit of society, too, because uh, Sean is his name, My right? buddy
1: Sean told one of Sean's the, greatest, the man. told me one of the greatest stories ever. Great storyteller, I've known, story I've telling, I've known Sean for years, and Sean is a great storyteller. And teller. they hosted the Navy show, right? right? But Sean, his wife? Sean has yeah. never told me the story about how he met Muhammad Ali at a Kenny Rogers concert, huh, where, where Gallagher was the opening act, <laughs> what? Great yes, story.
2: it really was. Was uh, so so he like, like
1: four? So I'm. Yeah. No, so no. I told so I told Sean, I'm like, so you, Kenny Rogers, Muhammad Ali, and Gallagher, on, Gallagher. Gallagher were all in the same building yeah. at the same time. He
2: said he remembers putting on like uh, like the poncho or whatever the thing was because Gallagher <sighs> Gallagher's was gonna, gonna and smash watermelons or something. Yeah, it was it was great. It was great storytelling. Uh, My uh, woman asked me, "What was her name?" So, d- what's her name? Charlotte. Charlotte, okay. I like it. My mom was really upset with me. Like I thought, I was very insensitive. You're such an a-hole, and I was like, oh, I, "What do you mean? I just did ask. I didn't think about it, but you're right. I should have thought about like what's her name. What what's her name going to be? Yeah. Uh-huh. But y'all were so. catching
0: up on things, topics of. I was the like, day, you should have have a whole life to understand but she was sick. She didn't
2: want to get anybody else sick.
1: But. The- yeah. You know, he could talk about all kinds of stories. Uh, That's why he's the Renaissance man here on Longhorn. But it's our lockdown corner on the show Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All American. 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. The Hamilton Tiger Cats, who do they own Johnny Manziel's rights now?
2: Yes, that is right. They They are negotiating
1: with Johnny Manziel. Go, Tiger Cats!
2: (laughs) I don't even know if that's a, that's a chance. I'm just really excited. To be <laughs> but
1: when, unlike Johnny Manziel, who's seeking refuge in Canada, when man Rod B. was done in Canada, got himself back to Austin, Texas, like a sane man, and back to the 40 Acres, <laughs> where he earned his degree. If he had his T-ring, he would wear it proudly, but nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Baberson. Rod, let's go ahead and start the discussion. Uh, let's go ahead and start with the, with the good Longhorn football news, because – you know, it's we're kind of on a nice little roll here, like bowl win and you know wrapping up, a, not wrapping up, but really getting the bulk of a recruiting class. Is number three in the country that does Tom Herman tries to turn this roster over, and the good vibes continue. Charles Aminu, who announces he's coming back for his That's senior right. year, which folks, up. let me tell you, some people are like why was a decision. Trust me, it was a decision because Charles Aminu, who was kind of in that gray area, where. Now, when the when the draft it's not the draft advisory committee. I forget the proper name. for Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but it basically, that's what they are. Right, They advise you. you. Send your name in. They, and, they yeah. used to give you various grades on where you could project. Yeah. Now they give you two grades, two grades. Probable first round, probable second round, or get neither, which means you should go back to school. Uh, yeah, basically. And Charles Amenahou, from what I was told, got the you should go back to school. However, that didn't stop people from being in his ear telling him he could have been drafted, according to some people that he was getting information from, possibly in the fourth round, just based on us. But upside.
2: just to, for the record, we don't know like Deshaun Elliott's uh, opinion from that committee. We don't know Houghton Hills. But I can I can tell you right now, it's probably, from what I've heard, go back to school for right. those guys. Right. You know what I mean? But those guys are also still deciding to go. Because that probably means you're a third, your projection as probably late second round to anywhere from late second round to like sixth round. Right. That's basically what that means. Or, or you're not going to get drafted at all. Right. You know what I mean? So that that's a that's a risk you take yeah. pretty much. So
1: Charles Menhen, who is coming back, uh, you know, he maybe he could have been drafted, maybe he would have been an undrafted free agent. But now I think you're seeing a guy that okay, now we know him, he's man. on the NFL radar. You we've seen the tools. We saw we've seen him gradually put it yeah. together. Now, Rod, that, you know that step we were expecting Cedric Reed to make going into his senior year yeah. that from injuries and various other things he wasn't yeah. able to make. That's the move we need to see Charles Amenehu make. So now, okay, now you're a guy who is a productive player. You've got the tools to be an all-conference caliber player. Can you be an a down-to-down difference maker in the trenches? That's the step Charles Amenehu Needs to take going into next year. What is his? uh What's the frame? Is he six six? All mm. right, he's listed as six seven two eighty.
2: Okay, but I don't think he's. But six, according seven. to Charles, he's like because like,
1: Charles is an availability. Yeah, he's probably six five six six five, six six. Uh, but, but a long the, wingspan. Yeah,
2: the frame is what NFL scouts are. Mm-hmm. You know, just ex- they they are really excited about. Yeah, when and it comes I think he, Charles a minute He played like he most
1: is, of his season. I think. I want to say it was an availability right around probably the OU game. Yeah. And I think he said he was at that time probably – like two sixty nine, two seventy yeah. somewhere, right around there.
2: Okay, so he's basically six six two eighty. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, and nice I'm talking frame. about I'm talking about a six six two eighty that doesn't look it. Oh, right. that's lean. Like he carries exactly. He looks like
0: a rackpo, and a rackpo is six four two fifteen. Carries
2: it well, and you know the NFL scouting process and the combine all that. And I don't think he. I don't know if he's going. to, You know, he got invited to the combine, or if he's one of those guys that was going to get invited. I don't know, but. I know my my combine experience, like, those guys, it's very, I always call it very homoerotic and not in, like, a bad way, but they pay attention to these things that men usually don't compliment you. Yes. Like, if I tell you that you got some, you got really nice thighs and that you got an ass yeah. that says you got a good base like you don't pay t- you think I was being weird or mm-hmm. I was coming on to you in regular life but <laughs> you hear those things whispered about you as you walk through the meat market Ooh. of the NFL combine like Damn, look at Basically, his look at calling. that ass. Yeah, it's very, like I know no, how a man. woman feels yeah, huh? like from day to day. It's like, ooh, look at the thighs on that dude. Like, look at the calves he must on work that. Out. Like they are really because cons- like with your body and your frame and like, damn, he's got long arms. Like so, there are things they are just really attracted right. to. And Charles Minnuhu is just one. He's like, I mean, he is. He's All Kim Kardashian. He's Scarlett Johansson. Got he's got a body right. that is just rocking. When it comes well, NFL scouts, they love it and. In Todd Orlando's system, and this is one of the things I've done research on, and I'm gonna go deep into it because I know we got a lot of things we got hit on. But I start doing, I start cyber stalking, you know, Todd Orlando because, you know, recently when Dave Aranda got the new contract, right. You know, I, I I made the case that Todd Orlando should be paid as much as Dave Aranda, or at least should be a two million dollar a year coach or in top five. Turns out he's gonna be a top five paid coach, and they get yeah. that done. All right, but. The the reason I made the the comment did the research was because if you look at the defenses of Todd Orlando they seem to be trending more towards where college football is going rather than even Dave Aranda's. Now basically I'll just give you the synopsis. Dave Aranda's defenses and he's younger by the way than Todd Orlando. Todd forty five. Dave Aranda's like forty one. Um, Dave Aranda's defenses are better in in total defense uh, consistently better in passing defense and better in scoring defense. And you're like, "Oh, well that should be in the discussion." Not necessarily. Cuz Tyler Orlando's defense force more turnovers consistently. They have more sacks, more tackles for loss, better rush defenses. And it's very strange like if and, and we talked about like how the definition of defense is changing even in, in the Big 12. And Tyler Orlando's defenses are almost constructed uh, the blueprint of them, the construct to be very successful against these very prolific passing offenses. Right. You know what I mean? you talking about negative plays and stuff rates, as Matt brings up all the time, and forcing turnover because it's in a points-possession type league that you're in in the Big 12. And so it all depends on, on what— zone D. Yeah, it all depends on what your definition of good defense is. Now, Dave Aranda, I think, is really good because he's adapted, much like Tarlando, to whatever the culture of the conference they're playing in. He plays in the Big Ten and in the, in the SEC. They have more conservative offenses. They're more power running game. So he's constructed his defenses to really counter that. And I think Tarlando's kind of done the opposite because he's been in the AAC and in the Big 12, prolific passing conferences. And my point is, to get back to Todd Orlando and his assets, and that's one of them, and comparing him to Dave Randall, it might deep dive into the stats. Todd Orlando, you go look at his personnel that he's had a chance to coach and or recruit over the last few years, and it's easy to track it because he's only been at his last few destinations for like two years. Right. And UConn was the only spot that he was at for a really, really long
1: time. He was at UConn for what nine years? Nine, Eight
2: close years? to a decade. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he, he like rose up through the ranks, linebacker coach, and then uh, DC, and all that kind of stuff. And at, at UConn, you go look at the of like the the defense that he recruited, and all those guys. And I got the stats right here, and you know I can actually give it to you and break it down. But I mean, there were, and for 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 UConn, I would say there he were – He was at
1: UConn for twelve years.
2: Damn, was he there that long?
1: 12 years, yeah. The last six as, uh, as defensive coordinator. Yeah, okay. So he overthrew the Ed Solera. All
2: right, so that's, yeah, that's, so it's, that's even longer. So I want to say there were, they had 20 players drafted, all right, from UConn in like the Super Bowl era, since the Super Bowl era started, which is like what, 1965 or whatever? I mean, 1967. Yeah, so 1970, whatever it is, all right? Um, and Todd Orlando is basically responsible for either recruiting, are coaching 16 of those 20. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, while he was there, like, yeah. that's mm-hmm. when their defense, they started, you know, changing the culture of defense there. And if you go look at a lot of those guys, I mean, they had their best seasons under Todd Orlando. And then I was like, oh man, okay, so people had their best seasons. So let me go look at the U of H guys. And you know the research on the U of H guys. All right. You know all those guys that started coming out for, for U of H. I mean, they had their best seasons under Todd Orlando. Um, whether you're talking about uh, Bowser or um, whether you're getting into talking about the the defensive backs, and they had a ton of defensive backs to end up getting drafted too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, William um, Jackson,
0: Howard Wilson, yeah, all those guys got right? drafted. And, you're in and, UConn, what Brown or who was it with the Cowboys? Byron
1: Jones.
2: Yeah, out they of that. had that. Would have
1: been the tail end of Orlando. Was it yeah.
2: Brandon Williams? They had Howard uh, Brandon Wilson. Excuse yeah. me, Howard Wilson, William Jackson the third. Um, They had some other guys drafted too. I'm not even including Ed Oliver in this. I'm just getting with the guys that were actually drafted from U of H. They had their best seasons under Todd Orlando. Bowser did. uh, Wilson, uh, both of the Wilsons. William Jackson III, who's only a one-year guy. All right, one year had their best seasons under Todd Orlando, and FIU and FIU is basically a, I think a program that's been around for like like four years or something. I don't even know if it's been around. It's been like for like maybe eight. eight I heard
0: about it when T. Y. Hilton came on
1: the scene. All right, they've had Elandon e- Roberts was one of those guys that got drafted, starting with the Patriots. Now there
2: you go. Um, they had their uh, four defensive players drafted in the history of the program from hmm. FIU. Two of them had their best seasons under Todd Orlando. Um and Jonathan Ciprian is one of those guys. I think he was yeah. Man, who is he when the Jacksonville, Titans? I he is left, it Jacksonville? He, Jacksonville. He left. Jacksonville.
0: Maybe Yeah, he is was it? there, and then went as a free agent okay. out. I believe, but yeah. yeah.
2: But my my point being this, go look at the guys at Texas that had their best seasons in that Todd Orlando defense. Can we name all the guys who had their best season? Charles Minnahu mm-hmm. is obviously the one. Well, all the
1: guys with. that are going to be drafted probably. So that's Malik, Deshaun, Holt, everybody. Kuna.
0: Nobody had a better season last year than this year Houghton Hill All of them Deshaun
1: Elliott
2: Deshaun Elliott Charles Aminehu I think Wheeler might have had his best damn season,
1: too. That's debatable. Probably. No, prob- statistically, yeah, if, right? you look at, if you look at the splash plays. Um, yeah. Chris Boyd. Chris Boyd, definitely. Devontae right. Davis. Davis is playing his best uh, football. So All of them. Brett, Jason, Jason Hall. Hall. Jason Hall might have played his, best, his best football he made, under Todd the the Orlando. He used them. Well, Antoine Davis, for sure.
2: You know what I mean? Like, go look. It's like we talk about seven, eight guys who had their best
1: season. Brandon Jones uh, right? made great improvements over the last half of the season. So
2: he's been – and I, I looked at it. He's had 12 defensive backs drafted since two thousand. 2006 since he was there at UConn. I'm talking about him as a recruiter, too. All right. So he's on the recruiting show. I'm talking about evaluating talent even when he's like uh, at the lowest of the totem pole as a coach. Uh, he has eight linebackers drafted since then, four defensive linemen. That's not including guys like Puna Ford and Ed Oliver. All right. Who are going to get drafted, too, at one point. So my point is most of those guys had their best seasons under Todd Orlando. He's really, really good at maximizing talent Mm -hmm. and he's proven that over a long long time span and that's what I'm really excited about when it comes to the the DBs they're bringing in the 2018 class they say Texas is bringing in the you know greatest DB hall maybe ever in the history of modern recruiting they're playing six DBs as their base defense right now hell you could use all those guys like I wonder if they're this part of their recruiting pitch it's it's like, dude, is like, look at our defense right now. We're yeah. playing DBs, baby. We're in the Big Twelve. It is, and, and
0: it's that modern concept that that's the reinvention
2: with. of DBU.
0: And you can it's do, Todd
2: Orlando's now dime defense. That's the base personnel, and you can play all of those athletes at one time.
0: And you pointed out all these players had stepped into situations and actually excelled and continued to do so under him and you know we looked last week at you know Puna Ford and how integral he may have been to the success of the defense in the bowl game but also you could look at something like this where it, there's evidence everywhere Orlando's been that the, his players when given the opportunity have played well and excelled past what they had done in the previous stops so we saw maybe game one of what can be next year's defense in the bowl game. And now you need somebody to replace Puna need somebody to also do the other things that are needed to keep that defense along. But just you bringing that up right there sort of explains a little bit more possibly about why when everybody said, Oh, you're not going to have all these players that you expect to perform. The defense may drop off, but the next in line under Orlando seemed to have always excelled past what they had done in the previous season.
1: It's uh it's interesting, Rod, because that has been part of the recruiting pitch and and I was down at the Army Bowl last week and, and got to spend time with Caden Stearns and Anthony Cook, Jalen Green and those guys and they said that was the pitch. Hmm. You know, they you know, a Should lot be. gets made about DBU and Tom Herman said in his signing day press conference said, you know, people talk about who's DBU, that's not part of what we sold. And talking to those guys, I mean that's they said it might have come up once or twice, but that's not really what the staff spent time pitching. It was more of, look, look at what this package can do with you in it, and we can play six defensive backs, and everybody can have a role. And those guys see that. And, and yep. the you know, guys like Jalen Green and Anthony Cook see, yeah, there's there's definitely, Room in this package for corners who the coaches want to trust to be vulnerable to to leave them on an island and, and play man coverage. And as much as Todd Orlando blitzes, he wants to play uh, a lot of man coverage on the outside. And that's that's what Rod, that's what these young cats want, man. That's yeah. in these seven on seven yeah, leagues. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 they're it's spread different. babies too. Now we mm-hmm. talk about the offensive spread yeah. babies. They're spread babies. They, well, it's like a they want to play. In the I, but it's the I think the same way to, you see somebody
0: freestyle well, battle. You see, a dude want to go one on one? There's some element yeah, to one on one even in basketball. There's that. Well, idea. yeah, I. I I
1: think that, to me. That's that's part of the. That's not so much seven on seven, spread stuff to me. That's the camp culture where a lot of the camp stuff mm-hmm. is comes down to to one on one matchups and a lot mm-hmm. of these all star game practices. It comes down to everybody wants to see the one on one. That's what people say about it. And, and and I think that's part of that mentality for these guys. Is you? I think you've got to have great makeup. I think makeup is one of those things people always talked about it at corner. But I think now, I think makeup is one of those things that you really got to have at the corner position because <clears throat> the more the more these spread offenses get sophisticated and come up with different, you know, schemes and and, and different things to throw at you, mm-hmm. the more defensive coordinators have to get exotic and blitz, which means the more, you know, man-free or zero coverage, whatever you've got to play. So you need guys that have that great makeup, that mentality to be true one-on-one corners. So Rod B., you played with great athletes at all levels of this game, man, even the guys that have the skills – man, if you ain't got the makeup, you can't be a frontline corner. It takes all those skills coming together yep. for you to be a lockdown corner. And I think guys like Jalen Green, Anthony Cook, they have that mentality. But then, you know, Caden Stearns, there's a role for for ball hawking safeties in this mm-hmm. thing. There's a role, you know, you look at DeMarvion Overshown, B.J. Foster. In, in that role that Jason Hall played, I think that's perfect for DeMarvion Overshown. It's kind of a dime linebacker type position. Yep. Uh, B.J. Foster's another guy that at safety. And and I don't wanna I, I wanna save kind of some of the two safety stuff when we're talking about the championship game here in a minute. But yeah, the six defensive backs is part of the pitch, but I think what Todd Orlando's done in terms of recruiting is he's done a really good job of selling the various parts of this package to these various position groups. And yeah. you know, I was talking to Gary Johnson after the bowl game and kind of going through Gary Johnson's kind of his his path to Texas. And this was a guy – and this is why I like Gary Johnson. People are like, well, I don't know about his size. And I'm like, look, Nick Saban wanted him. Like, he <laughs> so was, was committed laughing. to Alabama. He was like, if
0: he that Saban, he'd be a linebacker. And, and had, it not, had it
1: not been for an issue with his transcript that, that prevented happen. him from transferring to an SEC school, he he probably would have started in the championship game for Alabama as down as their linebacker yeah. depth was. And, you know, talking to Gary Johnson, he's like – Last year, he's like, I didn't know where I was going at this time last year. He didn't because that thing with Alabama fell through. And <clears throat> excuse me. He basically had to go through the whole recruiting process again. But in talking to him, he said the one thing that he really liked when he started talking to Todd Orlando was they highlighted what linebackers can do in this package. So I think that's – whether you're talking about the defensive backs, the linebackers, or getting back to mm-hmm. Charles who in, in the defensive line, I think this, staff, this defensive staff has done a really good job – To your point, right about what Todd Orlando's done at his very stop, saying this package works because we've taken and and Jason Washington recruiting corners. What he sent guys to the NFL out of Texas State and Rice and Houston. Said, look, we've taken this package and with not the kind of talent we can recruit at guys who are less talented than you. Yes, we sent guys to the NFL and we fielded you know, top twenty-five defenses and elite defenses. Can you imagine once we get you in here, who yep. you have a higher ceiling, can you imagine what you can do in this package? Yeah. And how what this defense can look like. And I think that's what they're selling. And they've done a really good job of that. And I think, you know, we talk about Puna Ford and that's going to be replacing him is going to be a really big part it's of what this defense does. Job they got, I yeah. think it's by far the toughest thing they've got to do going into 2018 defensively is replacing Puna Ford. But I think the versatility with with what Todd Orlando can do out of different three man looks, three down looks various four down looks uh, i think you'll see a lot more slanting him getting back to basically puna ford was his at oliver this year, I mm-hmm. think you'll see look more like what Todd Orlando's defenses have looked like, more his first year at U of like H, or UConn. what they looked at Utah State. Go, go way back, with yeah, it. yeah. Well, he
2: didn't have that dominant right. tackle. It's more that about war more about slanting and angles yeah. and,
1: and creating leverage. I agree because you got turns.
2: good D ends, you got yeah. Roach, you got and, guys on the outside that can got, make plays, with, and you got secondary guys who right. can make plays. And the whole
0: defense basically pivots around that one D lineman, his strength, yeah. and then use that against the weakness of that. the and offense. And we
1: talk we talk about a minute who need to take the step, and I think that is the step. If Charles who wants to be a first or second round pick, clearly being a dominant every down defender is the step he needs to take. But when you just look at the totality of it, Texas has depth on the defensive line. Yes, they lose Puna Ford, but especially if they can get Chris Nelson back. And Chris Nelson's a guy that we've heard you know could be entertaining, maybe a graduate transfer. That's just one of the rumors out there. Uh, but if you get Chris Nelson back, now you talk about Nelson, amenahu Breckenhager, Roach, you know, Gerald Wilbon, Quan Graham, you know, you've got guys that, yeah, while you might not have that one Puna Ford, you've got enough pieces there, Rod, where I think you can be able to, to put something together that can make you pretty formidable up front.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. It, it's you bring up, like, you know, Todd Orlando, what he's done earlier, uh, days like at Utah State where you didn't have that war daddy at defensive tackle, yet he still was able to field some top 20 rush defenses, top 10 rush defenses. Some of it has to do with the culture, but a lot of it has to do with his ability to kind of maximize the talent he has, I think if you go back and look at those secondaries for some of those teams at UConn back in the day, when he fielded really good defenses, they were, you know, they they had a lot of good defensive backs. So he'd man up on the outside and load the box to stop the run to make teams one-dimensional. Still the same blueprint, the same modus operandi, which is stop the run, make it one-dimensional then get after the quarterback and force turnovers. That's always been his mantra. That's why he has better, more opportunistic defense than even some of the best defensive coordinators in the country, including Dave All right, uh, They force more turnovers. They get after the quarterback better. Uh, they force more negative plays. But I think with Todd Orlando, having that war daddy is something that's been new to him because he hasn't had access yeah. to this much power five talent. Remember, my comparison to Dave Aranda and Todd Orlando, keep, sorry to keep going back to it, but – you know, Dave Aranda's been in a Power Five conference with Wisconsin and LSU the last like five years, five six years. So you know, Talanoa just got to the Power Five, mm, like literally just one, got man. access to some of the prime talent, like the Ed Oliver and H Town. You know, that was that was a uh, you know that that was an aberration. Really, you don't get guys like that at, at no, a group of five schools. All mm. right, that guy may be the number one overall draft pick in the draft whenever he decides to come out. So. I think here at Texas, you're going to see his defense start to trend more because he's got access to some of the prime talent in the country, which he's never really had access to. At U of H, he got a sneak peek at it. Nothing like here in Texas.
0: No, and that's something that's always interesting because mm-hmm. you can watch a career of a coach, and there's always going to be those basic principles or ideologies that they're built upon. But like you're saying, you know, on, on your way to get to where you want to be, you may have to do things with your current talent that isn't necessarily ideal to what your principles are. But then when you get to land at the spot like Texas, as we've yep. seen with Herman, as we've seen with Orlando, now it's there is a little bit of a period. Where you got to find those pieces and make sure this fits but it also it makes a coach very well versed they've already been dealt you aren't in a situation where you've always been the have and then subtract something from it. Now what? No, this is something where you've been able to basically be handed chicken bleak before and turn it into something and mold it and been able to adapt and have been put in adverse situations and have had to understand how to manufacture certain aspects of your defense or your offense. And then now when you get the pieces that you actually want, as long as you pick them correctly and your vision has been in the right mind the entire way, it can be maximized. And that's just where it's good to be that ascension where you're watching guys and you're like, okay, well, I mean, if he's getting the best out of these guys, what can that ceiling be? To, that's why there is hope.
2: Yeah, and he's been at different conferences too, right? The AAC, the Mountain We're West. adapting. The Big Twelve. Having to change, he's to had to what adapt. You know, I mean, over and over again with that same system. And mm. that was one
0: thing that what was our biggest criticism of the previous coaching regime: inability to adapt. adapt had been quickly. one style had been in that world, and then it had changed, and it not isn't necessarily the coach's fault. He's that coach, yep. not the one that you are trying to go and get to become that
1: coach. So exactly right. Uh, So I want to move on to the championship game. So we covered the Amenahu thing, and I think that's great for Texas. And if you get Chris Nelson back again, we'll talk more about the construction of this defense, but I think you're setting up to have a pretty salty defense, uh, at least up front in 2018. If you get uh, Chris Nelson back, you got enough pieces to make it work. But I want to move on to the championship game, guys. And... Alabama does take down Georgia late on as a, mm. one of the craziest <laughs> finishes to a title game I can remember. Where walk a, off, it's touchdown. like it's like the the gift Buzzard of the meeting. it's like the gift and the curse of having a, a really talented true freshman quarterback. He takes a sack. that's like, oh, young man, you can't okay. do that, and then comes right back the next play and throws a freaking forty yard touchdown on a rope to mm-hmm. to win the belt, but. Rod, I know everybody got hung up on the Nick Saban versus his former assistants thing, and he was, I think, 11-0 and 0 going into that mm-hmm. game against Kirby Smart, and people made a big deal about against it. Against all former assistants. Right, and, uh, you know, I, to me, that was irrelevant going into this game. And you know why? Because Kirby Smart had one thing that Jim McElwain and Will Muschamp and even Jimbo Fisher this year that those guys didn't have. Kirby Smart had comparable players. And that to me, when I, when, when I look at this championship game and thinking about Texas, that is the biggest challenge for Tom Herman. It's not so much turning the roster over because Charlie Strong turned the roster over. It's can you turn the roster over and consistently continue to bring in top-level talent that is going to win you a championship. How many number one recruiting classes has saved in that? that's do that's – go, back to, go back to your time, though. That yeah. 99 class, that was a great class. Great class. That's, that, that really set the foundation, but – 2000 class was the top three class. The 2001 class was a top five class. Mm-hmm. The 2002 class was the number one number class one. in the country. Yep. That's how you win a national championship. Yeah. You got to spend like four or five of them. Yeah. You know, I one Georgia's thing. has been doing it for 15 years. One thing people sure got be. hung up on, and, 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 and I see Texas fans, I see both sides of it. You know, when you talk about, oh, look at all the true freshmen for Alabama and Georgia in that game making plays. And what it tells me for Texas, it tells me two things. One, Yes, the Texas, particularly the offensive staff, could have squeezed more juice out of the orange this year on the 40. And I think Tom Herman would agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I think it also shows you that when you've got veteran talent and you've got a, a system where competition exists every day because you're stacking talent on top of talent on top of talent, doesn't matter if you're a freshman, sophomore, senior, whatever. The really good is going to ultimately rise to the top. And when you look at these two rosters, just want to read you from the 24 7 sports composite class rankings, starting with that class of 2014, going through the class of 2017, which is the classes that really made up the bulk of the rosters for this game. 2014, Alabama number one, Georgia number eight. 2015, Hmm. Alabama number one, Georgia number six. Hmm. 2016, Alabama number one, Georgia number six. 2017, (laughs) Alabama number one, Georgia number three. So you've got. There was a lot of damn NFL talent on that field Monday yeah. night on both sides. Mm-hmm. And Rod, we can talk about freshmen playing, whatever, but if Texas wants to get back to being Texas, which, you know, I was in a, a little round table with Chris Del Conte uh, Tuesday uh, Tuesday night nice. this week. And that's what he said kind of his the goal is. He, he said that was the message from Greg Fenvis was Texas needs to get back to being Texas. And it starts with football. Football's the, the economic engine that drives everything mm-hmm. on the forty. And if that's gonna happen. We can talk about schemes, which are important. We can talk about strength conditioning, which is obviously important. But Rod B., that's the biggest challenge for Tom Herman is can you recruit at a high enough level to get your roster stacked top to bottom with the kinds of players that are going to go win you a championship?
2: Um, Okay, I totally agree with you. So I'm not disagreeing at all. But we do understand that there is more to it.
1: (laughs) Because
2: Charlie – all these guys that are going to the NFL this year from Texas, and there's going to be like four or five of them. Charlie recruited them. Right, and, yeah, and those guys still couldn't win here at Texas. You know what I mean? You had the defensive lineman of the year, Big 12 defensive player of the year, co. and a unanimous All-American in your secondary, along with another guy who some people say performed better than him in the secondary and was that good for most of the year before he was suspended Houghton Hill. And the best special teams player in the country. And you won, what, how many? Five Big 12 games? Or was six Big 12 games? Five? Yeah. Five. Five. Five mm-hmm. Big 12 games. You know probably, what I mean? Yeah. So so it ain't all just, listen, I know you got to have the talent. That's those without question. Mm-hmm. But my point is, Texas has... Man. Texas, We've has, Texas has ta- Texas has talent. That's not to that Texas is bereft of talent. Right, like they like we become Kansas or, or Baylor overnight. We don't, man. That's been my it's point. It's freaking yeah. Texas guys grow up like Sam Mellinger who say, I'm, a, "I'm I'm going to Texas." Period. That's yeah. what I am. There are other guys I've seen them on social media. I'm going to Texas, and that's it. I'm not going anywhere else. That's they good. still grow up going more that. So my point is. About Tom Herman building this culture, because you want to talk about like, what Kirby Smart's done. He's from the Nick Saban regime, so let's just talk Saban. <laughs> right? So yeah. Kirby Smart was with Nick Saban longer than any of his other assistants. He's 12-0 versus former assistants. Kirby Smart was with him for like 11 years. Mm-hmm. So nobody fielded a better team as an assistant of Nick Saban than Kirby Smart. Right. It was the most talented team that Nick Saban had ever faced of one of his former assistants, and he was the, probably the best prepared of all those former assistants because he knew Nick Saban intimately and he knew that On roster that intimately. He had recruited that roster for the last eight years. He knew it. Yeah. Weaknesses and strengths of everybody. All right? So let's just start talking about Saban and his culture because that's what really matters. Six national championships, five and nine years because that's where Kirby Smart comes from. They were mirror images of one another. There is a culture there that exists, even with all the talent they're bringing in. They're bringing it in. But well, there's a culture, and we saw it with Jalen Hurts, obviously, when he was benched for Tua. All right. Well, how you say it? Tunga, Tunga, Baola? Tunga Baola. I just call him Tua. Tonga Baola. I don't want to screw up his name, but uh, Tua, Tua is what we call him now, overnight, okay, where you allow that five-star guy to come into the game, and <laughs> Jalen Hurts, who's 25-2, and two, throws one interception already, been in, started a national title game last year. He is, first of all, very mature about it, but – you know, that guy can come into the game and not only pick up where the other player left off, but take it to another level. Um, the five-star guys you brought up as other true freshmen, the wide receivers, the left tackle who Absolutely. got hurt, a you know, left and then Leather Smith. ended up being, yeah, he's a five-star. Freshman. The, 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 the running back, Najee Harris, five-star running back, goes back to my time, and you brought it up on the 40 Acres, where I was in a DB room with Quentin Jammer ahead of me and I had young guys behind me like Cedric Griffin and Michael Huff and Nathan Basher. Uh, so if I, didn't, it, 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 if I didn't perform up to expectations and I didn't mm-hmm. perform up to a certain standard, I wasn't going to see the field. And if what, the coach believed that one of those other guys could perform better than me, either whether it was my fault or not, Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. that guy's got to get the nod. We need the juice. We need that youngster to make a play. He might have a higher ceiling than you. You know what I mean? Like, it was understood competitiveness amongst the room. The competitive uh, nature in, the, in those rooms, everybody understands, is taken to a a, a level, of, a heightened level. When Chris Sims and Major right are competing in that room for two or three years, and you can say what you want about Chris Sims and you hate him and all that kind of stuff, think about the competitive, like, or in that room, mm-hmm. think about like what's going on in that room. And with Those the common guys, goal to make one the team is better, you as a head coach right now at U of H, and the other Is was an NFL player. All right, drafted in the fourth round, so they won Scrubs. He's fourth all time in winning percentage uh, for quarterbacks here at Texas. But think about how competitive that room became. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody who walked in, you could feel it. It was palpable. Like holy shit, right. it, 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 there is something competitive going on. It was the same way in that DB room. That wide receiver room when they had B.J. Johnson and Roy Williams and they kept bringing them in, it became the same way. That D-line room became the same way. That Mm -hmm. running back room became like that too. And that's how Nick Saban, all of his – all of his, you know, position rooms are like that, yeah. and, that's and Texas how, isn't like that right now. And
1: that's that's the the point I was gonna make, which is, man, like I know that. you got something you want to get to here, but that that's the point I was getting to, Rod. With all this talent, it, 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 you talked about it last year. We talked about this with Charlie's recruiting classes. It's like it's Texas. If you unless you're screwing it up, you're gonna get players. You don't get players, man. You should get players. Exactly. You should have a top whatever class every year. You Texas, but but are you getting enough of them? to stay in your program? Are you identifying the right guys that can establish that culture, that can that can build your roster to where at some point you do have a situation like you had at Texas when things were good, like Alabama has right now, like Georgia has and is going to have for the foreseeable future. That, to me, is the difference. Are, it's not, are you going to recruit players because, yes, it's Texas. You should be it's able Texas to recruit is. players. Are you recruiting enough difference mm-hmm. makers that at some point you've just got so much damn talent that you don't have a choice but to have you know, Hey, we got all these damn defensive tackles. Two of these guys are going to be all conference players exactly. just by law of averages. I'm just yep. putting them out there. Once you yep. start
0: stacking up those classes and those classes have not only where we're talking about a freshman class, but then when I mean, it seems obvious, but you stack up and then there's a group of sophomores and a group of juniors, so now the next group of freshmen they aren't the ones being the ones depended upon. They're just filling a hole or just yep. fighting for the couple snaps like you were saying, yeah. the Griffin Badly. or the Huff, but yeah. think about that competition level yeah. and then think about though the schisms that we've had at Texas because yeah Texas got the talent all the years with Charlie have got talent right now with Herman but there's been a part where well the former group of the young kids coming up now this isn't the coach that brought them here or now it's I'm draft eligible can go and there's a new coach here there's not continuity the way that (laughs) a place like Saban the way that we talk about continuity and how much it may be underrated or just undervalued or not paid attention to because you need to have some type of continuity just to be able to withstand that class, making it through the school, and then being able to be replenished so you can finally hit that first cycle that you benefit from a coaching cycle, and yeah. we're still bereft of that since oh9 It's been that horrible nine class you basically fired Mack and rehired him with new coaches in that 11 through 13 era. We went through it again with Charlie for three years. Now we're back to where we were there. So if you can have that continuity to where these freshmen can actually stack up and you can continue to recruit to get those freshmen to fill holes, then you can withstand kids leaving early, like you could understand whenever Texas lost Vince or lost, say, Ramon's out of nowhere and stuff like that can happen. Yep. And you can continue to be yeah. good yeah. because you have, like Rod said, in those rooms, every room has this culture and just competitiveness to see the field, which of course then is going to bleed over to a common goal amongst the whole locker room because you're all just fighting for like almost perfection and knowing yep. that if we complete this, we can do this. But that also... Takes three years of consistency. We can't even get a damn week of consistency at Texas. It point. ends the year and it begins the year. And, right.
2: and and to and to that point, you with with Texas, you know, you have to have those like three or four years where you kind of, you mm-hmm. know, you said build it up where mm-hmm. they you can withstand the the guys who transfer and mm-hmm. the guys who get hurt and all that kind of stuff. With Bama, this is how deep they are as the deepest team in the history of college football. We saw it real time. Just getting deeper. You saw you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> During the like game. You said, like you said, it's one of those you know the slow motion videos yep. where they show you like the sun rising and the sun setting over like twelve hours, but you can sit in like a minute. Mm-hmm. All right, where well, they kinda they speed everything up, you know what I mean? That kinda yeah. thing. Well, it it is it, that we saw that with Alabama. We saw the the seven straight years of a number one recruiting class in real time. And this blew the away running back, was the, the leading receiver, the leading rusher, the leading passer, all were five star players who didn't really play that much all year long, but yet in that game they were able to lead Alabama because we know they were just a so talented. Practice but worked. able to Yes, maybe to lead them basically to a national title. And let me just say this. I, I, I think Nick Saban, and I think it was the greatest game Nick Saban's ever coached. I truly believe that because uh, Kirby Smart, former assistant, guy that knew him better than any other former assistant, actually had a better game plan than Nick Saban. They out-coached Nick Saban. Most of that game, they did. Mm-hmm. They out coached Nick Saban. They had a better game plan. They were they were better prepared than Nick Saban's guys. And like you said, like talent, and they were mirror images. That mm-hmm. uh, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick admitted. He said, "Man, they, their signals are so much like ours. They they even look the same." Like, he said, "They they are just like us in almost every way." But and they and they talked about this recently that Nick Saban over that you know few weeks of practice and he had extra time to prepare for the college football playoffs because he didn't play in the SEC title game. He actually gave Tua a ton more reps mm-hmm. than he did during the regular season. Because he said, I was, I was thinking about playing him in the semifinals.
0: Yeah, it's in, in case
2: something crazy happened and we couldn't generate something, I was going to throw him in there in the semifinals. But the semifinals, we rode, we were good, everything was great. He said, but he was basically, I'm paraphrasing, he was the wild card. Yeah, He was Nick Saban's wild card, just in case Kirby Smart really outcoaches me which I don't think is going to happen, but it did happen. And -hmm. his players outplayed my players, which they did Mm -hmm. for for, for most of their game when they were up 20-7, to my wild card. And you know he's wild card because Kirby Smart's players were better prepared because they had watched more film, and Kirby Smart knew those players. He knew their weaknesses. He knew their strengths. He had his guys ready to go with the game plan on how to defend Ridley and how to defend all those guys. But think about the freshman. He didn't know those guys. Yeah. Very little film on those guys. Mm -hmm. Kirby Smart, that's the one player. Like he's already been going to, to Georgia for two years. Those freshmen coming in, those are the one players on that team. Yes, they're very talented, but Kirby Smart didn't really have a thorough game plan on those guys. Let me ask you this, And Nick time. Saban, after he put Tua in, he said to himself, Man, I'm going to play more than Harris. I'm going to play more of these freshmen. They're balling. You know what? Yeah. Freshmen, go out there and I mean, win it. I and I think this, he yeah. did it per- – I think hey, after it, he did it perfect. I think it was a plan with Tua, but I think after he he understood, like, oh, my guys are more talented, I got to go let them win it. And that's why Nick Saban said after the game, happiest I've ever been in my life ever. Ever. You could see them. Ever. Ever. So all those championships, this was the happy. You want to know why? Because Alabama wins as a methodical, robotical, a robotic machine. All right? They're, they're emotionless in their regimented way they win. You know what I mean? Like, they they win the same way every year. But this year, he couldn't win the same way. He had to actually go with the wild card and roll the dice. Nick Saban doesn't roll the dice right. to win games. It's Nick freaking Saban. But he did this year, and that's why he was more ecstatic about this win than any other win that he's yeah. ever had, dude, because he's like, dude, the, really my wild card, which I never use, mm. it won the game I'm, for me.
1: I want to get to this before, before because you know, we got a couple other things I want to cover. Mm. But the winning touchdown, Rod, I want you to break down that coverage. Is that, oh, man. is that a situation where do you just underestimate the ability of the freshman to make that throw?
0: He just looked them up. It's hard to get in the two seniors,
2: too, right? Correct. It's hard to get corner, into a a corner in the
1: safety's head to know what they were. Quandre seeing,
2: Diggs claims they were playing cover six. I trust Quandre. He's a great NFL player. He said they were playing cover six, which means a combo coverage on the front side where the trips were, uh, which is not where the throw went. They were playing cover four, so quarters coverage, right? A deep safety and a deep corner playing quarters coverage there. And then on the back side, which is where you have the just a single receiver, which is where the touchdown throw went, they were playing cover two on that side, famously everybody knows that. Um, and I agree with that from based on what I saw. So to the trip side, you have you count from the outside in. So the number one receiver is close to the sideline, the slide is number two, and the guy that basically is close, a flex tight end or close to the tight end position is the number three receiver. The safety on the cover two side, which is the back side, not the front side, the front side is the three receivers. Side. the safety on the backside is keying the number three receiver because he's waiting to see if that number three receiver is going to threaten him with a vertical
0: so he's looking at the other side of the field
2: yeah he's kind of his look, that's his key. key that's his key his first key now if you're a veteran and you know what you're doing as a senior and he was you probably figure hey I, I don't go with the key i go with my gut i go with football situations and what i know but from what i go you go with the key you key that guy if that guy is threatening you vertical of course you stay vertical now, if you don't get a threat vertical as a safety, you always got to be deeper than the deepest, especially mm-hmm. in a cover two. You're covering a half of the field, which yeah. he was. And he obviously failed in that coverage because he was not deeper than the deepest. I think the reason for that is because he was reading the quarterback's eyes. He's reading Tua. Mm-hmm. He's reading a freshman. He's probably thinking to himself as a senior this freshman is never going to look me up. This freshman's going to eye down whatever he's throwing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a jump on this freshman because he's not a veteran. He's not Aaron freaking Rodgers. I'm mean, This ain't Baker Mayfield. He ain't gonna look me off and then come back to the to the backside after looking to the front side and start the play. It's not gonna happen. Well, it did happen. All and right, Tua segment. is yeah, he's a five star recruit. He's much more mature as a quarterback than we thought. So he looks off that safety. That safety instead of getting to his landmark first and then looking at the quarterback, he just looks at the quarterback the entire way. He drifts way too far and side that number three receiver for the record didn't threaten him it was actually being bracketed by two linebackers so all he had to do really to to defend was the number one receiver on the other side which was the single receiver and yet he ended up getting sucked in by the quarterback size so that's on him but I will say this the corner is the one that actually screwed up because the corner it gets a jam on that number one receiver. He He's got no other threat. There's no number two there. There's trips on the other side. So you don't have a number two. The running back in the backfield, maybe you're number two. He never got threatened by a number two receiver. Maybe that that streaking intermediate crosser, but that guy was already bracketed. So he never got threatened. He should have been able to reroute number one. All right, So basically make that wide receiver run the hump or something, get a jam on him. And then second, you carry number one because you don't have a threat. What are you covering? You're just covering nothing? You ain't got a threat, it's that corner, so you carry. You just run. You keep running. You just keep running until you see a threat, and you didn't see that. So, the corner, in my opinion, really is one screwed up because the corner reroutes that guy. Mm -hmm. I think that safety may have just enough time to get over the top. He didn't. And that's why I always tell guys. Yeah, these days, read route progression first. Read route progression rather than reading the quarterback. Read the route progression. Well, the
0: quarterback's going to be trying to in, be yeah, in, like, deceive you. you the the yes. route progression cannot deceive you. Right? it's the one true entity inside there. Receiver goes away. You're not being a, manipulated. Yeah,
2: there's a receiver coming back to you. It depending on the zone. So your number one goes away from you. Then you cover and start looking for your number, your new number one or that number two coming to you. If you don't, your number one number runs away. Doesn't run away then he's your guy. Mm-hmm. That's matchup zone. He's your guy. Like The corner, Like what are you doing? You reroute that guy and you run with him. Who else are you covering? You're just looking at the quarterback for what?
0: Yeah. And at that point, I think he didn't reroute him thinking he wasn't going to be blasting over the yeah. top, which is absurd. But uh, if, when we were play. talking about Tua, and it just was full circle while I was watching that game and how it happened and our talk all about depth here, and it comes full circle perfectly because the idea of having depth and then being able to force somebody in and depth out of, say, necessity or depth by choice. Well, how did Nick Saban win his first championship? It was because a freshman quarterback came in out of necessity. Necessity It wasn't a
1: choice It was a necessity There
0: you go yeah. You finished it for me yeah. But yeah So you look at Tua All the way across the board And Tua ends up Being the guy That you go And have to choose that To bring him in It's the better choice You win What happens When yeah. you have Deteriorated over time And then When you don't have The depth You are forced Into playing a backup And you have no chance Texas Yes And yeah. both Saban wins both times so Always we'll, wins
1: We'll get to more stuff With Texas And how it relates To the championship game And we'll, we'll cover some More of that next week But Rod There's a couple things i want to get to i uh i tried to watch the uh the coach's film room for the rose bowl yeah and the sugar bowl and my wife got really annoyed and just yeah wanted to watch the game it, it's not
2: entertaining
1: but for a football freaks it is. so she went to bed at halftime of this game when she realized that uh, they were not going to show the bands at halftime they were going to show kendrick <laughs> lamar instead <laughs> so kendrick Lamar, come on my wife wants to see the bands don't wow. don't ask it's yeah. educated though and uh so she goes to bed and i'm like okay hey, Good. I can watch. uh, I can watch the film room. And man, did you get to watch the film room? I did. I watched. I thought David Cutcliffe was freaking awesome, man. He was right because he's probably forgotten more football than most of the guys Mm -hmm. in that room know. Uh, And I just thought he was tremendous. He was really good. And David Cutcliffe brought up a point. Well, there's a couple Mike Gundy things I want to get to, and then a David Cutcliffe (laughs) thing. Gundy said basically – we talk about this, and this kind of confirms everything we've talked about and our philosophy of how the Big 12 works. Now, Mike Gundy said basically their philosophy at Oklahoma State offensively is we want to make you defend 52 yards. We want to make you defend the entire width of the field. entire field, field. yeah. And that's kind of what – Chip Kelly, same thing. Yeah, Yeah. and that's kind of what we've we've been talking about is the challenge in the Big 12. Our brows, same thing. And – the other thing Mike Gundy said, Rod, and this goes back to you know we're, we just we broke down cover six just now. We talked about too high safety looks and things like that, and I thought this was very interesting because you know Gundy kept that was one thing he kept harping on was was how much how much too high how much too high is Georgia run how much too high yeah. have they run this year, and the thing that he brought up and he why he said that they you know Hurts was not going to be effective against a too high look, he said this he said too high safety looks are really hard to throw against especially. When you've got athletes like Georgia has, and you've got outside linebackers that can carry mm-hmm. the wide receivers, and that run. made me think of Texas. Mm-hmm. That's why that damn dime package works so good. Yeah, it does. Because man. not you can run, you know, whatever kind of coverage you want. You want to run too high. You want to run quarter. Whatever you want to run, you've got guys like Gary Johnson and Malik Jefferson or Jason Hall as your dime linebacker. They can run. They can run with slot receivers. The DBs, man. Yeah. yeah. That they can run, so that makes it really, really hard to throw the football. The exactly other thing right. Gundy said, and this goes back to something, Rod, you and I talked about a lot. We didn't see Texas take enough shots down the field this year.
2: Yeah. And you know what? That's why Tua was big. When Tua yeah. came in, he started launching the ball downfield.
1: Didn't see him take mm-hmm. enough yeah. shots. Yeah. And Gundy said this, and I thought this was brilliant. He said, you have to you have to be able – you have to basically force the issue with the deep ball when the matchup presents itself because the rules favor the receiver. Yep. All the rules in football now, in and NFL, it favors the wide receiver. I don't even know what you're wearing. And Gundy said, I don't know why when you've got a cover zero look, why you don't just just check to a fade and just Every throw time. it because you know, the rules favor the rules favor that receiver. Yep. Mm-hmm. Either you're gonna grab me, you're gonna trip me, it's gonna be a PI, you'll shove me out of bounds. Whatever, there are like five or six different things that happen, and, and most of them, are, them all, most of them to yeah, my advantage. Me, yeah. So why don't why don't I? I don't. He says I don't know why more teams don't do that. We, we talked about on the show. I yep. would start
2: off the game throwing deep balls. I would just, my first like scripted fifteen scripted plays would
1: have four to five deep balls
2: in them. And, and what
1: does Oklahoma State do better than just about anybody in the country? Let's throw a deep baby, West baby.
2: Virginia. Yeah. What does Dane Hoekson like dude? Ray, What Dane Hoekson loves throwing a deep Will Greer, yeah. No, I'm yeah. with you on that. Really? Right. That makes perfect. And then that's what Alabama needed. When Nick Saban said, they asked him, why'd you put Tua in? he said, we need somebody that can throw the ball. Yeah, And he can throw the ball.
0: yeah simple. And it also shows that yeah. they can just dominate without a quarterback that can throw the ball. Like, you
1: got right? to get to say, that to throw the ball. 25-2. But that's one of the things where I talked about going back to, to depth and, and having a lot of freshmen. But, you know, the fact that the offensive staff could have squeezed more juice out of the Orange this year, so to say. You know, Rob. We talked about the TCU game was one game where going into that game, one of the things you and I talked about, and, and Matt, I, I think you did too, was how can Texas be competitive in this game? They're gonna have to force the issue with the deep ball. They're gonna have to take shots. And the one scoring drive they had, they hit two deep shots. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. And we never saw them really go back to it again. And They didn't. Yeah, you're right. I agree. With that. <laughs> so it's like, uh, yeah, just, I'm I don't with you know. on that.
2: But you, that's how you. If you're gonna run the ball, you gotta be able to throw it deep. That's kind of the. Uh, you know, that's the the counterpunch to them. You know, trying to defend your run game, putting guys in the boxes. You gonna leave me man to man on the outside? Okay. We're just gonna chunk it every so now and then. Basically
1: the Gundy philosophy is you've got to always be on the hunt looking for when can I take a deep shot. Well, whether with any position. Yeah. Texas
2: actually did a, a decent job, though, this this year randomly trying to throw in the deep ball. I will say that. But yeah, but, but with Texas, you naturally get deep uh situations, deep ball situations, when the scramble drill happens with Sam Ellinger. You would what think. You, you would think you would think, mm-hmm. but they never mastered it. That that's a deep because for that's a that great deep ball opportunity. A player, that's chemistry. Yeah. That's the type of that stuff. that chemistry,
1: chemistry can only because be created we, like
0: over time. Other good than L.J.
1: Humphrey and Amani Foreman, I don't think any of the receivers Amante were really good. Amani was probably the best. Were he was really good at the scramble drill. Yeah. Makes well, hell, the, the touchdown, the touchdown catch IQ. he had in, in the USC game. Yeah, he was great. Scramble drill. Yeah, he just broke to the pylon. Yeah,
2: he's got a fit natural feel for it. Yeah, most receivers don't.
0: So, and that'll come when I mean, you have your first offseason with the freshman quarterback with uh, some receivers and some retention. Then you can start to build those type of things. Like, we saw that, that better than anybody, the way that McCoy and Shipley, by the end of their career, yep. like, literally on the same page every single play. Yep.
1: And here's the other thing. Uh, this was, and I, again, I thought David Cutcliffe was just freaking awesome on this on thing. Yeah, I like him, and old man. later in the mm-hmm. game, he's, you know, when Georgia, they, Georgia and Alabama both had key possessions. And I think Tom Luganville said, Co- Coach Cutcliffe, what are you doing here? He said, you know, I, every game I go into, and I've got a sheet of nothing but what I call drive starters, which in a critical yeah. situation, mm-hmm. on a critical like possession, they're either easy Very. completions or runs that like our that. kids believe in that, boom, I know I can go to that. Yeah, these guys know how to run this play. Yes. They know how to block it. Because it, yeah. we, I've heard, even though people – didn't Disparaging to discuss him. I've heard our brows talk about this. I've heard Malzahn talk about this. Any bright offensive minds in college football, I heard him talk about this. Basically, the key to moving the football is getting the first first down. Once you get the first first down, your you chances of scoring grow exponentially. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. love to see that
2: study. I bet that's, I, I agree the with you. The key
1: that. to tempo, anything you yeah. want to do is getting the first first down. And, Rod, for this offense this year, and it's going to be the same case in 2018, mm-hmm. winning on first down is going to be paramount. Yeah, well, especially because we don't know about the
2: offensive line right now. So you, you can't be behind the chains at this point if you're Texas. you got to be right. ahead of the chains. you got to get to the point where your playbook is always open. You can't close off half your playbook because it's, you're in third and eight and third and long situations. So I agree with you 100%. It's going to be big.
1: And I don't think we started to kind of see it in the bowl game, but I didn't think there were many things this staff did throughout the year that you can point to and say, okay, I think they're real confident in doing that. I think they really believe in this concept or this 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 series of run plays or this this series in a passing game. You never really saw that. It goes back to the identity conversation we yeah. were having. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I
2: mean, I'm trying to think of something. I, there are some things they did well, but you're right. In terms of knowing how this team is going to come out for the game and what they're going to try to establish, we never figured right. that out. It was always different from game
1: to game. But – Going back to the – we talked about it last week. Going back to the bowl game with, like, the opening script, I thought they – if you look at this offense throughout the year, some of the things they did really well were some of the things we saw on those first couple of drives in the bowl game. Yeah. You know? Maybe
2: we, Tom Herman had more time to
1: m- – Possibly. You know? I'm sure his, that's put part his, of put it. his fingerprints on things. But, you know – the quick the quick quick completions into the boundary boom quick little just four or five yards four or five yards on first down yeah it's quick little throw into the boundary uh the, the play action passing game the delayed release was great for the, Texas. the early play action like it,
2: it, before the the running game is working who cares if the running game is working just open and up i love the play you action. brought
1: that up this yeah. year because i'm running that into the ground now like yeah, man. and on a first drive your run game doesn't suck yet
2: yeah everybody knows <laughs> that it's was like yeah oh, we gotta stop the run it's like all right we'll just give them that you know Give them, give them give them, that illusion that they have to yeah. stop the run when they really don't. You know what I mean? Because our run game sucks anyway. You don't have to stop it. We stop it ourselves. Right. When, <laughs> when
0: the first study was done on the first down stuff back in 2008 from Football Analytics, uh, who really was a part of the Football Outsiders back in the day, 66% of the time after you get a first down, you get a score on that drive. There you go. Then... 2014 was updated in by Harvard, and Harvard said that now I guess it's at about 65.2 exactly. But then if you get another first down in the drive, it hops up almost to 70 that you're scoring. So you get two first downs, you're going to be in scoring range. It almost yeah. comes in.
1: Yeah, there you go. Yep. It's a groove, baby. Yeah, you getting the groove. So it's not – when you look at – basically, this is kind of where I want to pick up the conversation next week and going forward. When you look at – Revamping, fixing, tweaking whatever label you want to put on it, what have you, with Mm -hmm. the Texas offense in 2018. It's not like there's real wholesale changes that need to be made, Rod B, for this unit to at least be, at least hold up their end of the bargain, at least carry their weight. O line is the wholesale, not wholesale, but. It's the biggest th- That's going to be the biggest, yeah. It's the, the biggest project. Yeah, that's going to be the biggest right. determination, really. Bringing O-line
2: do. grad transfers I'm hearing a lot about, right? Stanford, uh, Rice. I think, I
1: think you'll definitely right. see them. Tom Herman said it, and I've heard it behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, they're going to try to add one, maybe two grad transfers. Oh,
2: yeah, exactly. Well, I think we're all on board with that. Like, just, you know, throw bodies at it at yeah. this point. Because it, it can't be worse than it was That's last a year.
1: position group where... If you're if you're talking about the bodies being veteran bodies, and I'm I'm great with it. Yeah, it's juco, transfers juco guys, grad transfers, whatever yep. guys that have some experience. Boom, I'm not for you know taking high school offensive linemen and I saying, oh that. let's do, no let's redshirt those guys. I'm with you on that. Pull them back a little bit and yep. don't like. I don't want to see Sam Cosme start 13 games next year. I'm with you on that. You know, yeah. no, like I'm with you. G- work him into the mix. I don't want to see Derek Kerstetter start as many games as he started this year. Yeah, because then you start 10 games. It's,
2: it's, well, Patrick Vahe, I think, may have been kind of a victim of this. You throw those offensive linemen out there too early just because you don't have the depth. And, yes, early on they excel because they're ahead of the curve. They're Zach ahead of schedule. We're
1: shackled for that now.
2: Exactly, but not, but I think you you kind of stunt their ceiling. You lower their ceiling yeah. then instead of developing those guys. This offensive line is such a unique position in terms of development. I think that and the offensive line of
1: quarterback are very similar in that regard. I agree with that. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, a guy can make sale early
2: on, but they like RG3, and then it's like, oh, well, they fizzled out because you put them out there. Give too them
1: as there. much time to grow as possible. And yeah. maybe they're just not good enough and it won't work out, but nothing but maximizing the potential those guys have I'm to be on something. That. But you know, the bottom line is it's not like wholesale changes are needed on offense in terms of you know scheme or whatever for this offense. And I think the offense in 2018 is going to have a ceiling on it. Nah, I don't know if it will be similar to this offense, but it's not like we can expect this offense to be a top 20 offense in the country. But to make up the margin for error that you had you know, where mm-hmm. you know you hold Oklahoma State to 10 points in regulation, you should find a way to win that game. And the, the inability to close out the Texas Tech game or the lows in the Maryland game or – the lows in the USC game where you needed the offense just to give you something, something, just stay, just they they keep got. your defense off yeah.
2: the field and give them time to get fresh. Some yeah. of these
1: simple things that I heard Mike Gundy and David Cutcliffe talk about were just find up just one or two things that your kids really believe in that you can go to, and you know, hey, take some risks. You gonna know, take take some take some risks with the deep ball. Hey man, throw it out there. Even though. They yeah. did that later on. They started putting trick plays
2: early on in the opening What's, what's you know, interesting, though,
1: stuff. and I looked at some of the pro football focus numbers before the bowl game, did you know Sam Ellinger had the worst completion percentage going into the bowl game of any Big 12 quarterback on passes 20 yards or more in the air? Well, that explains Bouch- a lot right I there. think Shane Bouchelle was third worst in the conference.
0: That's complete. Wow. So that means
1: they're doing it, not completing
0: them. The intents there, what you need, just not executing. I wonder what that's about.
1: I'd have to go back and maybe watch the film Pressure? and see. Is that is it pressure? Is it guys? Is a drill we talked is it about? Guys not, is the guy not getting off the jam? How many
2: of Sam's are him rolling out though, and, yeah. and like scrambling him. and throwing deep? I, I, I can remember Tom just off the top of my head. Yeah,
0: you exactly. I mean? So there's so many go levels. That's an interesting
2: stat though. Mm-hmm. That's that's good. I gotta do some research on it that.
1: It makes you want to kind of dive more into. Yeah, it. yeah, uh, it's what the one of those look. stats. Yeah, but mm-hmm. the black hole. You know, again, we got plenty of time to talk. Matt, do we want to get to our pick breakdowns, or we want to save that for next week? We can do that next week. Okay, we'll say that for next week. All well, right, we got yeah. plenty more time to talk about how we finished up, which I'm pretty sure I finished in last place. But oh, we'll get yes. to that. But you thanks, made a strong that, run, man. though. You <laughs> made strong down, a strong fourth quarter comeback. Man. Bama beat. Uh, so Rod
0: and I. We ended up being ahead of you. You say it
1: like Jovi like, oh yes, Jeff, you finished in last place. Dead ass <laughs> yeah. last. Well, we don't have to recap, I, I guess unless you want to. <laughs> nah, we'll get we'll get to it next week and we'll figure out. We'll figure out what my punishment is. Matt, thanks for everything, man. righty, man. Rod, B appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and 1049 The Horn, Hornfm.com, the Horn app, AM twelve sixty, a number of ways you can listen to our wonderful radio partners. You can hear Rod each weekday one to three on the Rodcast. And this block. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.